Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to yet another edition of Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at MatchpointCan. We're also on Instagram. We're the official podcast of Tennis Canada and members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. While a week of team tennis is now in the books as countries were dueling it out in Fed Cup, we saw a young 17-year-old Canadian pulling off an amazing upset of a top-five player. We had another Canadian reach his second career ATP final. And uh, to recap, to start with, Canada's Fed Cup result in Switzerland joining us on the line, and she's uh, been on our program multiple times, is Sportsnet's Carolyn Cameron. Carolyn, thanks so much for joining us this week. Thanks for having me after an exciting weekend. Yeah. More great international uh, news for Canada. Despite the loss, it almost felt in a way like we had a small victory there because how about that 17-year-old Leila Annie Fernandez? What can you share with us about what you saw from her over the weekend against the Swiss? I think I was just, I was really impressed by a number of things, but I think first and foremost, just her poise and the fact that she played so well against the uh, number five player in the world in Belinda Bencic at that stage of the weekend because she lost in straight sets the day before to Jill Teichman, and she could have actually done well in that uh, opening set tiebreak. But the fact that she came in in a must-win for Canada when everyone thought, okay, this is over, Benchich is going to beat her quite handily to beat her the way that she did. And Patricia Heboulet and I, uh, Patricia was doing the color commentary for our broadcast on Sportsnet, we kept reiterating that it wasn't just the fact that Layla won the match, but how she won it, because some people might think, oh, maybe Benchich lost herself the match. No, Layla was the better player the entire time, and she was really taking the ball early, being aggressive, uh, going for shots. And it was it's just neat to see someone at the start of their career really develop in front of your eyes, and that's by far the biggest win of her career and the fact that she did it with the maple leaf on her back and at a time when Canada needed her to play well is it's quite something it was honestly reminiscent of Daniel Nestor at the Davis Cup back in the early 90s in 92 when he beat uh, the then world number one Stefan Edberg at the Davis Cup I mean this was this is a Canadian teenager beating one of the best in the world in straight sets so now maybe she'll go the double specialist route like like Danny did, I guess, if that's the <laughs> I case. don't think so. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. We spoke to her just the week before on the podcast, and she talked about yeah. how her plan was to go out there and really try and impose her game. And yet when you look at her, she's not like this huge, bulky, you know, beefed-up figure, but she really gets a lot out of her frame, and she, she just has no fear to go after an opponent like, like Benchich like that. No, she didn't at all, and I was really impressed with her return game. Um, you could see the confidence, too, and we've seen that with Denis Shapovalov, especially when he broke out a few years ago at the Rogers Cup, and she didn't have fear either for going for the lines and going for the lines on the winners. And she was really using the whole court, too, and moving Benchich around. Benchich is very good defensively, uh, but Layla was making it really hard for her to, to even do that. She was even coming into the net um, using good variety, so... I was I was really impressed. I think it was a good introduction for some people who haven't seen Layla play before, even though she played Fed Cup last April. It was just the one match and a loss. I think it was a really good opportunity for people to see her and see what's possible in her game. And I mean, ranked 185th in the world, she's just gonna she's just gonna keep climbing. Yeah, certainly. And uh, unfortunately for for Fed Cup team tennis, you can't get ranking points uh, when you play there. Uh, So, you you know, she feels like a better player than 185 and she's surely going to continue rising this year. Right. Um, Obviously, the storyline just just ahead of the team event really beginning. We we had seen Bianca Andreescu training and 
fingers were sort of crossed that she might have a chance to play in singles. Did you ever think that that was really possible? And, and do you know where she is maybe at in her recovery from that knee injury? I didn't think it would be possible. I kind of had my hopes that maybe a tiny bit that there was a slight, very slight chance that she would play, just the fact that she was named to the team. I was hearing just even last month that the team was eyeing a return in Dubai, which is coming up in another week from now. It's hard to say where she is. She even, um, I interviewed her and we had her on the broadcast on Friday morning and she was very much saying it's it's day to day. Yes, she's been practicing, but she hasn't been practicing to the full extent of, of how she likes to or how we usually see her practice. So I think it's still just a, a wait and see and they want to just be really careful with the knee before before she plays. It, it was really disappointing that they didn't have her to play because that totally could have changed things and we could be talking now about Canada being in in the finals in Budapest in April but that being said I'm really I'm really impressed that she was there and she showed up because that's where Fed kept a good experience for everyone she loves playing for her country but even if you think of having Layla there and being able to talk to Bianca and and get some of her words of encouragement not that there's a big age gap it's only two years but I think that was that was probably a big help. And it really seemed like the team was tight-knit. They were genuinely so happy out there for, for Leila Annie. And it just seemed like there was a good vibe, despite the fact that they had a real uphill battle to try and, to try and climb. I think there was. I think, I think there was probably a lot of confusion um, the couple of days leading up, and especially on the Friday with Jeannie Bouchard's last minute not being able to play. That put Gabriela Dabrowski, perhaps no one's fault, but that put Dabrowski in a really tough position. Having, I mean, you're asking a double specialist, who hasn't practiced for singles all week. And sure, she played some qualifying earlier in January in singles, but that was only two matches. I mean, that's a big ask to have someone come in when they're not prepared for it um, to play singles. So I think, you know what? I know all our attention was on Layla this this weekend, as it should be. You could give breakout uh, award to her, but in terms of good team player award, I think that undoubtedly has to go to Dabrowski for stepping in and playing two two singles matches when that really wasn't, her role and never should have been. And that then begs the question is, should they have added another singles player onto that Fed Cup team because they did have the, have the numbers for it? Yeah, and uh, that, that was something uh, I was sort of wondering about. And, and I'll ask you, uh, you know, you look down the names of the Canadian players and what were their options if we knew perhaps Bianca wasn't going to play singles and then Jeannie Bouchard dealing with that wrist injury. Do you know maybe why we didn't have a, a Catherine Sebov perhaps invited? And I, I'm not sure of the status right now of Francois Sabanda's health, but uh, were, were those two not invited for, for health-related reasons perhaps? You know what, Ben? I really I don't know, and they're pretty tight-lipped too, um, mm. just about how the decisions are made. I know Sharon Fitchman was available too, although she plays doubles. But, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why they only went with the amount and, and the people that they did. And uh, just to follow up on Jeannie Bouchard uh, for a moment, it, it's weird to view her as kind of a veteran player at this point on the WTA, but but she has been around for, for a fairly long time. And you look at the, the players who are on this Fed Cup team with Bianca and certainly Layla, that Jeannie is kind of the, the veteran of the group. Obviously, she wasn't able to play, but did you see any of those maybe certain leadership qualities? And, and what was her presence like around the team? Yeah, I think it was a disappointment just that she wasn't able to play. And I think people think, oh, we don't know Layla Annie Fernandez at all. And yet, because Bianca's not in, she's the number one seed for the Canadians, not Jeannie Bouchard, because she's outside the top 200. 
but Jeannie's played a lot of Fed Cup over the years, and she's mm. actually been very good at that stage too. So it's one of those situations where rankings aren't really reflected in Fed Cup, where it doesn't really matter what you're ranked. It doesn't mean that you necessarily are the favorite. So I think in terms of the team, I think the biggest loss was just that she wasn't able to play because I think they that it would have given them a, a bit more of a shot and it could have been maybe one all on, on Friday as opposed to, to two loves. So she was still there on the bench. We saw her with the, um, the guard on her left wrist, but she tweaked in uh warm up. but yeah, it was just too bad. But I mean, that's, that's how these things go. You need to have a bit of luck and health on your side and able to win these. Despite the injuries, it seems like there's a lot of positivity on the women's side here in Canada. I mean, we've seen what the Davis Cup uh, squad did on the men's side back in uh, November. But for the women, we've got these two young guns now between Bianca Andreescu, when she's healthy, Leila Annie Fernandez, who's now emerging, Gabby, who's rock solid top 10 in the doubles, and then Jeannie yeah. there for depth too. Um, what's your sense of optimism for the future of this Fed Cup squad? I think it's, I think there's plenty of room for optimism. I think the one thing that they still need to work on and is in the development is depth. And if you look at the Davis Cup uh, team, you have, what, four players in the top mm-hmm. 150, where you only have one being Bianca in the top 150 and in singles right now for the women. So that's the one thing I think that still needs uh, working on is that depth. But if we look ahead to... April in the playoff to get back at this stage to try and compete in the 2021 finals. You just really have to hope by April 17th, 18th, I believe it is that you've got a healthy Bianca, that you've got a healthy genie. Um, and who knows at that point too, how Leo will be doing too. She'll be riding some momentum. It's, it's funny with these fed cup and Davis cup events for Vashik Pospisil. And we saw that in the final too, just in November is sometimes this can really set people up to succeed for the rest of the season. And I'm hoping that's the case for someone as young as Layla, just 17 years old. That, I mean, I think it has to. She just beat the fifth-ranked player in the world. So you're, you're riding with tons of confidence moving forward, and we'll see what stage she's at in April. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, it's it's nice that you mentioned Vashik Pospisil because, of course, he's he's coming up just a, an awesome week down in Montpellier, France, uh, making a final. And it's really stunning that actually to me and in, in some ways surprising that it's only his second career ATP final. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know about you, but it, it feels like he's playing almost like top 30 level tennis. I think, you know what, this is one of those guys that I'm just really happy for because a year ago in January, he was lying on a hospital room table after surgery. And I think a lot of people questioned, even in the past couple of years, even myself included, should he just stick to doubles? Should he just focus on that? And he was Mm -hmm. so adamant that he thought, I've got more in the tank. I I can still be a successful single player, top 50, top 30, maybe even top 20. And a lot of people doubted him. And the fact that he's out there and he's moving the best he has in years and that he's finally healthy, you just can't help but feel really good for him because he has always been a really skilled player. It's just been his body that's that's let him down. So, so far, really good results this year. And what a fantastic week for him. And I I just hope on a personal level he keeps doing well because he's, I think, unfortunately been the underdog due to his body letting him down. So maybe finally, even at a later stage in his career, it's actually setting him up to succeed. 
totally agree with you on the personal level of, of kind of rooting for the guy to get back into yeah. the swing of things, which I rarely ever feel for professional athletes, just the distance <laughs> and the, you know, impartiality, I guess. But yeah. he was one of the first guys I ever interviewed when I started uh, getting into tennis uh, back when he was yep. even more baby faced than he still is at the age of 29. <laughs> and he was just such a nice guy and so much positivity. And then you see what he's doing behind the scenes, try and making, you know, making the ATP tour better for, for everyone outside of the top 100 as well. And how can you not get behind a guy like that who just represents his country with such sort of class and, and, and he's just such a, a fantastic human being too. Yeah. I'm just one of those people who it's nice to see people succeed. And when they've grinded for so long too, something else I'm happy about is we had Milo Sharanich on the Fed Cup broadcast on Saturday between matches. And he said that, this is the first time in six years that he's felt healthy coming out of the Australian open. Wow. So it's, it's, yeah, that's, that's big coming from Milos and you could kind of sense all the positivity coming out of him just for his body language and how he was speaking. So yeah, I'm happy to see, I think with all the success of the young Canadian players and Bianca, of course, becoming the first Canadian to win a single singles title at a major that people are thinking, Oh, what happened with Milos? What happened Mm -hmm. with Vashik? And I think, I think that's, I think that's unfair. I think that's not appreciating what goes into a tennis career and what goes into success when the season is, is so long. So that's why I think guys like Bashik and Milos in their late 20s at 29, I'm, I'm rooting for them. I hope they do well. Yeah, certainly. And uh, that was our conversation sort of in January uh, post-Australian Open where, you know, lost in the shuffle of all the, all the Canadians heading to that Grand Slam event, we were all hyping up. Felix and, and Dennis yeah. and what they, what they can do and, and quietly just advancing into the second week of Grand Slams, which he does so often, is Milos yeah. Raonic. And uh, you kind of take it for granted how, yeah. how impressive a, a career uh, he's really had. Yep. And you know what? We speak, too, about just the importance in all sports about, about visibility and how important it is for kids and, and young athletes growing up to is to believe and that kids right now saw what Bianca did and what Dennis and Felix are doing well they were the kids that were watching Milos and Vashik like Milos's breakthrough in 2011 mm-hmm. that's when that's when Bianca was still just in grade school so you, I don't know you can't underappreciate what these these guys have done for the sport and Jeannie too in the 2014 Wimbledon final say what you want about her career as a whole everyone has their own opinion, but she made the Wimbledon final then. And that, that did something to Canadian tennis and two other grand slam semis that year too. Like how many people Canadian or otherwise have had a season like that in their (laughs) careers. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just true. feeling positive, you know. I don't know. You <laughs> caught me on a you caught me on a really good day. That's why we keep calling you to be back on the program with us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, good timing. Um, one discussion uh, we were also having in January with a few of our guests is is I guess storylines you're sort of tracking for the tennis season, and you know how long the tennis calendar is, but we we do have one Grand Slam uh, now in the books with the Australian Open coming and going. Um, any storylines tennis wise that you're you're maybe tracking for for the 2020 season? Any particular players or, or things you're interested in seeing I think in women's tennis and I was talking to Bianca a little bit about this is just that idea as I just said is that seeing is believing I did not have Sophia Kennan on my radar to win the Australian mm-hmm. Open and yet she goes and wins the Australian Open so I think it's just some of these younger players who are, are seeing other people have success and it gives them the confidence to think why not me I think it can be me and then it becomes them I think that's something to watch in the women's game this year. Otherwise, I mean, I'm a big fan of Daniil Medvedev's game. I, I think he could be poised to win a Grand Slam 
this year. I think Milos's win over uh, Titi Pass in the third round of the Australian Open is going to set Milos up really well um, for the rest of his season, just knowing that he can beat one of those those top guys and young guys. Not that he's the youngest, but he's still young in his early 20s. Um, so, yeah, I think this is a year that someone outside of the big three, if you will, wins a grand slam on the men's side. Two? I don't know. But Med- I think Medvedev would still be my pick. Let's start with one and see where we go from there, I guess. Yeah, yeah exactly. Carolyn, when are we going to see you next covering some uh, tennis action on uh, on TV? Ooh, I guess it could be possible at Indian Wells. I've tended to go there if a Canadian makes it uh, far. I was there last year for Bianca. I've been a few times for Milos, so we'll see if any of them make the quarters uh, or on or maybe Miami, and then otherwise um, in April, 17th, 18th, for the Fed Cup uh, playoffs. And right we'll on. just wait to see who Canada will face. Well, we'll look forward to that. And uh, before we let you go, I have to say that uh, we found the perfect picture to use for promoting this podcast this week of Uh-oh. you and Serena Williams. I took this shot actually back in, I think it was 2015, when you were doing Jeez. the uh, post-match interviews Fourth, on Centre Court. Side, yeah. And, time flies, eh? and so I think I'll put that up there and say one of these two appearing on the podcast this, <laughs> this week. Yeah. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think you may have cropped Serena out and made that a, a, your Instagram profile picture. But Did I don't I know if I'm... crop her out? Maybe I it just not. Maybe it just didn't fit because you guys had a little distance between you or I'm going to have to check that out. Right? Okay, get back to <laughs> us on that. That's a bad luck. Well, now your listeners that. will be disappointed that Serena's not on. Well, we'll that just... is a good that is a good fake promotion. Okay, thanks. I'm glad we have your blessing on that one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we look forward to chatting again soon with you. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Carolyn. That was uh, Carolyn Cameron of uh, Sportsnet, and uh, I didn't know she. Uh, I didn't know you took that photo of her and Serena Williams from yeah, I was, what, five I was years up ago. In the stands, and you know what? I always try and do it, whether it's like a rash or when Jackie Redmond was doing it one year, or Carolyn. I just try and take those photos, and I always send them along because. I appreciate it when people take photos of me when I'm doing an interview with, I mean, who wouldn't like to see themselves with a Roger Federer or sure. Serena Williams, you know, just for of course. even later in life. Hey, show the kids, look, this is me interviewing the greatest tennis player yeah. of all time. Um, I've got a good one where I'm kind of sneaking in behind Roger Federer at a, uh, a press conference where the French media stuck around. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna work <laughs> my way into this one for sure. Very crafty. Very and crafty. so uh, we'll have to use the the one with both of them in it and. And maybe we will get Serena Williams one day. Who knows? you got to believe, right? <laughs> you never know. Uh, hopefully sooner sooner rather than later. I don't think we're going to have years uh, on, on that opportunity, but you're, you'll never really know. Uh, that's a good segue, though, in, in terms of talking about more Fed Cup results because uh, USA also competing, and probably a lot of people were surprised that Serena Williams was out playing Fed Cup for the United States, but I, I think that's terrific. And uh, USA pushed to the brink by a tough Latvian team. You forget about the names on Latvian. I don't, I don't think we normally associate that country with a, with tennis too often, but they have a French Open champion in Yelena Ostapenko and then uh, Anastasia Sevastova. Always a top 20-ish kind of presence. Yeah, very, very challenging. And, uh, of course, we saw her defeat Serena Williams in three sets. Yeah, that was something else. The fact that Serena's perfect record in Fed Cup play, 14-0, and 0, uh, prior to the event, was uh, was ended mm-hmm. and um, again a tough opponent but someone that you would expect when Serena's healthy uh, which she is as far as we know uh, the fact that she's playing would indicate so someone that she would be able to defeat and the, the first set alone 30 unforced errors and she lost her first four service games of the match that doesn't sound very Serena Williams like 
No, no, not at all. Now, Anastasia Sevastova is one of those players who, who's craftier. She's going to make a lot of balls, and she's going to kind of make you beat her. And uh, I, I think that's some of the trouble that we've seen with Serena Williams in the past when she hasn't got across the finish line in a Grand Slam. Uh, I'm not talking about a Bianca, but, you know, losses to a Kerber or something like that in a Wimbledon final. Lost to uh uh, Wang Xian uh, at the Australian Open, where you have an opponent who is very steady from the baseline, forcing you to beat her, staying really consistent, and Sevastova can change pace and direction, uh, that Serena was flummoxed at times. And I, I don't know if that really raises the alarm bo- alarm bells on her chances uh, going forward in 2020, but uh, two losses already for Serena uh, on the calendar year is not great, I guess. You know what raises the alarm bells for me is when you use a word like flummoxed and I have to almost <laughs> I saw, Google I it saw to see you what, what it is. your eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, Serena Williams is going to be one to watch. She's always one to watch, but I'm just intrigued to see what happens next because she wins her first title in about three years to start the season. That's right. Against a weaker field, not her fault. Those were the players in front of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then has a very underwhelming Aussie Open experience and then loses um, this one as well in Fed cup so uh, what comes next will she be playing many non-slams this year is she going to be able to maintain her health because you'd think coming in healthy and playing more events that that would tend to give her more confidence and allow her to sort of get into a rhythm but we haven't seen that rhythm really establish itself yet this year no but i have to think this is probably the best she's felt physically that she's comfortable entering entering a fed mm-hmm. cup event and i, I got to give a lot of kudos by the way to sophia kennan uh how many players would go off and play this team event like fed cup or even davis cup after winning your first grand slam you think you'd be putting your feet up and relaxing for a few weeks and sophia kennan is right back out there and uh winning a key match over sevastova actually in straight sets now i believe she did lose to ostapenko but uh still impressive for her to show up and compete for her country yeah she didn't have to but i think it also speaks to the fact that now she's in the upper echelon at the top of the the women's game in the usa yeah and she hasn't been in that position before where she's the number one american they've got a lot of great uh women player uh, female players so i think the fact that she's being summoned and asked to play and in a position where she deserves to be there why wouldn't you want to go and embrace that and have that moment and sort of, you know, she mentioned how she had been sort of underappreciated or not had a lot of attention coming into the year. Mm-hmm. And now I think she's enjoying it and and sharing that with her her country. So so why not? Good for her. Yeah, good for her. And uh, on a pop culture note, I will just mention uh, Renee Zellweger winning uh, an Academy Award last night. She singled out Serena and Venus Williams as uh, two of her heroes. I thought that was quite interesting. I was actually, I never watched the Oscars, but I was for whatever reason last night. Okay. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to sit back and not do any Twitter or tennis stuff tonight. <laughs> and then they mentioned the Williams sisters, and I'm like, oh, I have to now. And yeah, so, and all, all of tennis Twitter got on top of it immediately. Oh, tennis, tennis at the Oscars, uh, which I thought was uh, pretty hilarious. So. Well, she's talking about heroes and not just athletic heroes, but just heroes in heroes general. Heroes in general, yes. So awesome that she mentions both Williams sisters of who course. absolutely fit that mold for so many many um, young girls in the USA and otherwise uh, for what they've done over their careers. Yeah, certainly. And uh, congrats to Renee Zellweger on the Academy Award. A couple other Fed Cup results I'll just mention over the weekend. Belarus uh, topping Netherlands 3-2. to two. Russia got past Romania. Germany beat Brazil. Slovakia over Great Britain. Belgium topping Kazakhstan. Spain beating Japan. And I want to point out this upset, by the way, Spain over Japan. Uh, it was the first match in this tie that had everybody talking. Sarah Cerebes Tormo beating Naomi Osaka. And the scoreline, pretty unbelievable. Six love, six three. 
that's beating. A beat, that's, a beat, that's a beat down. Yeah. Now, uh, I should note, it was being played on clay, and Tormo is a crafty clay court player. That is her surface. Osaka, we saw disappointment for her at the French Open last year. I don't know if it's an issue of Osaka hasn't fully figured out how to play on this surface, or she's just not feeling great. I'm not really sure. We're going to have to wait and see what happens when we get back to the hard courts and the sunshine double, you know, places where she should be excelling and and performing. I mean, she had such a great finish to 2019. I see no reason why she's not going to get back into the swing of things there. That's recent memory, so she should be able to recall those good times. Uh, Ben, Fed Cup will um, have its draw for the finals Tuesday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time. So I think our podcast will actually be up after that. But nonetheless, is there a nation that stands out for you for the April uh, 14th to 19th finals week that you would say has a, a good shot of uh, taking the title this year? Uh, honestly, it's it's really, really close. Uh, you look at different squads. Uh, I, I'm impressed by Belarus. Uh, Arena Sabalenka has a strong history of playing very, very well in Fed Cup. That's kind of when she first burst on the scene a few years ago. I recall a huge win over Sloane Stevens in Fed Cup action. She comes to mind. I think Russia is a pretty nice team. Ekaterina Alexandrova, who I loved at the front end of the year, won two matches. You love mentioning your favorite up-and-comers. I eh? do. Like you just I do. Can't hold back. To I can't. And them. she went two and zero over the weekend, so that's a good sign. But uh, I, I don't think Fed Cup on the women's side is quite the same element of play of when you look over at team tennis and country events on the men's side, where it's clearly you can identify a Spain and a Serbia as the front runners. I think it's more of a balanced uh, uh, fight here. Except for Czech Republic. That, there you go. <laughs> I was I was giving you the opportunity to throw the because they've won it six out of the last nine years. I'm looking yeah. through the list here, and it's just check flag, check flag, check flag. Right. Um. So to me, I mean, if you're gonna, they've been money, right? 2011, 2012, 14, 15, 16, 18. Um. France won last year, obviously, but and they uh, just they have so much depth. Uh, you, you look at what they can send out on the court, even if uh, Kvitova isn't playing, for example, uh, depth in singles and doubles. Bondrusova, who's up and coming, yeah. and if she's healthy, look out, you know, the mm-hmm. French Open finalists from last year. So, um, you know, they've got the experience and the depth and the doubles players, and you need that, right? We were talking with Carolyn earlier that Canada doesn't quite have that depth on the women's side, which is a fair assessment, um, but uh, we sure are lucky to have Bianca and, and Leila Annie, and uh, nice, to, nice to have those emerging talents. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll uh, continue on. You're listening to Matchpoint Canada. You can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. You can find me at Ben Lewis SN590. You can find Mike at McIntyre Tennis. We are the official podcast of Tennis Canada and members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. You can also find us on Instagram under Matchpoint Canada. We're obviously going to break down the men's side a little more and start with Montpellier, where we did mention the terrific week from Vashik Pospisil, just his second career ATP Tour final. The first since uh, 2014 when he reached the finals at the City Open. Uh, in this case, some some big wins uh, along the way, beating Denis Shapovalov first round. Very impressed that he got through Davi Goffin in that semifinal. Finally ran out of steam in the final against Gael Monfils. But, uh, you know, Carolyn alluded to alluded to this when we were speaking with her. Uh, we we kind of wondered if he should even be pursuing his singles career the way he was over the past couple of years, given uh, failing results. And now look at where he's come just outside the top 100. And I think likely charging towards the top 50 uh, in the next coming coming months. I'll almost be shocked if he doesn't make top, top 50 because he's got nothing to defend between now and what? Late June, early July, right? Yeah, he, he didn't came play back at, until Wimbledon. Wimbledon, right? Yep. 
Um, and, and when he came back, he had some tough opening round matches, but uh, that didn't always deter him. He's playing the best tennis, I, I feel, of his career in, mm-hmm. in many ways. And when you look at what he did when he, you know, to me, he first burst on the scene with that doubles victory at the Rogers Cup years ago with Milos, where they knocked off Djokovic and Nadal on center court in Toronto. That was really cool. But you always kind of wonder, well, how much effort are the top guys putting in in the doubles anyways in an event like that? Yep. But the confidence he must have attained from that. And then, you know, 2013, Rogers Cup semifinals. 2014, he makes the Wimbledon um, uh, quarterfinals, if I'm not mistaken. No, he wins. Sorry, he wins wins the the doubles doubles in 2014. And he makes the finals of D.C. And like you said earlier, I was shocked that he's only made now two finals in his career. I thought there would have been a third or a fourth in there. But yep. um, then 2015, uh, Wimbledon quarterfinals, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And then things kind of started falling apart. He went 10 and 23 in 2016 in ATP matches. He went 8 and 13 in 2017. He went 8 and 15 in 2018. And it looked like he had lost his mojo, lost his confidence. I was suggesting, many were suggesting, hey, maybe get back into the doubles and maybe that can help you find. But he was adamant, yeah, about continuing down this path of singles and it seems like he's certainly being rewarded for that determination and belief in himself but to come back from such a big injury and be able to to get to this level of tennis is just absolutely remarkable no special potions it might be the maple syrup for fashion <laughs> that was uh, the shot that went viral and not just around sort of Can- canadian tennis circles this is tennis tv tweeting out this stuff of Vashik pospisil chugging back one i assume what had to have been 100% real canadian <laughs> maple syrup only the very best uh in a changeover which uh, i was trying to think about and figure out and yeah if your energy levels are low if your blood sugar has has dipped off why not something as pure as maple syrup to give you that boost? Maybe it's he's better sponsored. Than a he must bar. be sponsored by some, uh, <laughs> or if he's not, you know, listen up, eh? écoutez, because any of these uh, maple syrup companies, we should uh, maybe contact some in Quebec and broker a deal for him. No kidding. I thought it was a joke at first. I saw Felix retweet something with a picture of it. I'm like, no, that can't I be I thought real. It, at first maybe it was a, like a, a bottle, just a water bottle that somehow uh-huh. resembled um, a maple syrup bottle. But no, it was absolutely the real thing. We got to ask him about this. I'm sure we'll have him on sometime soon. We have yes. to, we have to ask him about <laughs> where this came from. Whose idea was it? Yeah, and you would think if it was something he did uh, every match, we would have picked up on it long ago. So maybe this was something new he was trying out. But he had the bottle ready. He obviously brought it on court with him in his bag, uh, knowing maybe knowing that he would need it against such a physical, athletic player like Gal Mofis, who takes the title. Obviously, Mofis was going to be the favorite, and now six and zero against Vashik. Just a very, very tough match up there. Um, but I, I know you're kind of looking back at his finals run in D.C. at City Open and then looking at the finals run here and, and wondering which is the, the more impressive result. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, that one in 2014, um, which set up that all-Canadian final, which was pretty cool at the time. I mean, now it seems like we've got Canadians playing each other all the time because there's so many of them doing well in tournaments. Not in the finals yet, but but still. Back then, it was such an oddity to see two Canadians come up against one another and, you know, and especially in the finals of a tournament. But he defeated Thomas Burdick, uh, who was number five in the world at the time in that draw. And he defeated Richard Gasquet, who was number 14 at the time. 
I guess Gasquet's the common link because he beat. Did he beat Gasquet this? Past he did, year? and yeah. Gasquet did retire with injury, down one love in the second, but six-one, uh, one love, and then Gasquet bowed out. So those were big wins back in DC. But I'm just so impressed that he's able to do it now. I mean, he's only 29. He's still at a good stage of his career. But just after what he went through with the back surgery, I find this to be uh, super impressive. Although at the time in 2014, I think we were pretty amazed as well at his level of play and, and getting to the final. Milos being there wasn't as surprising. Vashik getting there was, uh, yeah, kind of something that was unexpected. Yeah, definitely unexpected. I might maybe peg the 2014 final as just a little more impressive given you get that win over a number five and Tomas Burdick, who's, who's always super reliable wherever he goes. And obviously the 2014 version of Richard Gasquet, I assume, you know, substantially better than the 2020 version, but uh, you know, huge wins here, including against his fellow countryman, Denis Shapovalov uh, opening his tournament, winning in straight sets. That was, he, he could have been out of this draw very, very early. So Chapeau, maybe we should talk about Chapeau a yeah, bit. Yeah, I think we have to, uh, you know, because the ABN AMRO is underway in Rotterdam. Shapovalov lost last week and Montpellier gets his tournament underway against Grigor Dimitrov and bows out in straight sets 6-3-7-6. And, you know, for all the praise that we were heaping upon him, well-deserved praise for his runs in, in 2019, late in the season, the great play at Davis Cup, winning his first title, getting to the finals in Paris. Now, uh, you know, Feels like multiple steps back. He's lost five of his last six matches. The big swings with him, eh? Either he's on fire and he looks like such a legit top 10 guy that has so much, you know, and he does have so much potential, but he just looks almost unstoppable when he's really hitting his mark. And then the swings where he goes through these stretches where he's having a lot of difficulty just posting a win. Now, Grigor Dimitrov, that is not an easy first round opponent. Not at all. To be sure. Um, But to me, it's the emotional swings really that are a little bit, I don't want to say concerning. Look, he's 20 years old. He's figuring it out. He's growing up. He's maturing. When I was 20, I was a bit of a disaster. So it's like cut him some slack. Mm -hmm. That being said, I think he's got to learn to sort of harness the emotions. I didn't watch this match, but from some feedback on tennis Twitter, Chris Otto, who we've had on the, the program before, said, yeah, the frustrations did seem to creep in again. He's got to find a way to manage that yeah. to get himself back into a match um, because this is not doing him any good. And uh, and it doesn't come across well either, I got to say, right? Like the, no, the racket you, you, smashes you, yeah, and the, the, I, the behavior is a little too much McEnroe for my liking at some <laughs> moments, you know? No, he was definitely getting frustrated. It was pretty reminiscent for me um, watching. I, I caught the first set and, and a few more highlights beyond that. It was pretty reminiscent of his loss to Fuksevich at the Australian Open. You felt like he was pressing and not really sound mentally and getting, yeah, just getting more and more overwhelmingly frustrated with things not going his way and, and not doing enough problem solving on court. And he had a brutal start to the match. You, you're chalking up four double faults kind of early in the first set and you're down a break. And I, I think it, something else to note here is, uh, you know, you mentioned Grigor Dimitrov, a very tough first round opponent. The ATP top 100 even has gotten so strong, so deep. You go, you go down the names of who are in the rankings in the ATP top 100 at almost any one of these tournaments, you're, you just don't get an easy match. So if you're playing crummy from the get-go, you're not playing your best tennis. You're going to be in a lot of trouble early on. And right now, Shapovalov's not playing his best tennis and he's getting punished for it. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I think for Dennis, maybe something like Bianca, who who brought on, you know, the, the sports psychologist and worked a lot on visualization and whatnot, 
which uh, Sophia Kennan also alluded to doing for the first time she did. Uh, leading up to the Aussie Open title. So there's definitely something to be said for that. We, we should try that before our podcast, maybe, you know, a little visualization. <laughs> yeah, that's, that could be I don't know what I'd visualize, just you and me sitting here in the studio, I guess, <laughs> with our headsets on. Yeah. But uh, I think for Dennis, and I don't know, maybe he does have a sports psychologist. Maybe he is talking with someone. But I think something that, uh, you know, that mental side is almost just as important as the physical side of things. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, some people kind of pointed out it, it felt like you're watching the Shapovalov from mid-2019 when he was in that clear, uh, ugly slump and uh, struggling mentally on the court, bad decision-making, and he couldn't really buy a first serve when he needed uh, needed it as well. So uh, he's going to have to turn things around quickly, but we still have uh, action continuing from Rotterdam and Felix Ojealiasim is there. Uh, he will get his tournament uh, underway against Jan Leonard Struff. I, I suppose the one good thing is that we avoid a potential all-Canadian clash. Sure, we, let's look at the positive here. We, <laughs> we don't have to be torn. Who do I cheer for? Exactly. We could have seen Dennis and Felix in round two, which is uh, just crazy to me how often this seems to be happening. Uh, this is a very difficult turnaround uh, for Vashik Pospisil as he is playing this week again, fresh off that finals run, and uh, he's going to get Danil Medvedev, the top seed. So uh, I'll be absolutely floored if he's able to win that match. Hey, he beat a young Russian at the U.S. Open unexpectedly in the You're first right, round. You're right, Karen Hatchinov. Now, right. uh, I, I sense we're going to get a hungry Daniil Medvedev who probably wanted to do a little better at the Australian Open that he did, though he made the round of 16, but uh, Vashik is there. Uh, we will segue over to the New York Open where we will find a couple of Canadians and it's one of those tournaments where last year we probably didn't really expect to be talking about it at all, uh, but then we had a Canadian out of nowhere appear in the final in Braden Schnur. It was so perfect for me. I just have to put it out there on a personal level. Yeah. It was so perfect because I had just talked to him the week before the New York <laughs> Open, and I was working on this article for uh, Ontario Tennis Magazine online, and it just couldn't have worked out more perfectly. For uh, Great for Braden. I was also pretty happy, you know, that it worked out for me because the story then people more interested in reading about it. Hey, who is this Canadian that maybe we aren't as familiar with? Where did he come from? What's his story? And uh, yeah, he just shot out of the gate last year. It was one of those great, and there were so many of them, it seemed like, to start 2019. Great Canadian stories. Um, they're happy to have him back in New York. They definitely included him in some promotional materials. And even last year throughout the year, as soon as he agreed he was going to be back, uh, I think he's there with a wild card. So, I mean, he is outside of the top 100 at number 118 in the rankings right now. But that really propelled him uh, towards the top 100 for the first time last season, uh, where he fell to Riley Opelka. He's got a nice draw. He opens against Germany's Dominic uh, Kupfer in their first career meeting. And uh, after that, I didn't see too many big obstacles in the next round either. So if he can get a couple of matches back in that environment where he had success last year, that could spur him on. I'm not expecting a finals appearance. Um, there is another Canadian in the draw there, Milos Raonic, who's going to be uh, pretty tough, I would imagine, uh, serving indoors like that. Um, but for Braden, it must be nice to be back where he had that career moment uh, in New York and We'll see what he's able to do here. Yeah, terrific memories for for him, certainly. Uh, I, I think he's kind of one of these players right now who is a little bit between that challenger and ATP mm -hmm. level, and he's been playing a series of challengers this year and late into last year and hasn't really posted the results the past few weeks. Uh, but as you mentioned, he has a nice draw. Uh, it could be potentially important for him to at least win a couple of matches here because the ranking will fall if you're unable to replicate that finals appearance, which will be very difficult. Uh, 
definitely a great opportunity, though, for Milos Raonic as well, that Carolyn Cameron uh, mentioned that this is the first time he's felt healthy post-Australian Open in six years, uh, which uh, I don't know if I should... Uh, be excited or, or almost sad. Yeah, it's kind of like both, right? You feel really happy that he's feeling it right now and you, you're really kind of excited about what he can do then if he's feeling that way and can sustain that. But then you do feel like, oh my God, six years since you've come out of that tournament feeling good. Yeah. Um, I think with Milos, unfortunately, it's just going to be like so many what ifs if only he could have been able to be healthier on a more consistent basis. But again, he's in his late 20s. He's got time. And with that big serve, I mean, look at Dr. Evo, who's still serving bombs at his age in his 40s. Milos has a much more complete game than a guy like that. And what we saw at the Aussie Open, boy, he looked as good as I've ever seen him with the forehand and the backhand really hitting their marks. Yeah, definitely. And uh, top seed, uh, a different brand of Milos Raonic. Maybe not the fully complete game, but one of the greatest serves in the history of tennis. John Isner at the top of that draw would be an interesting encounter if uh, we get those two in the finals. couple big servers here. Kevin Anderson playing this week as well. Uh, should be interesting to see. So there, there are names there, but uh, it, it has been a while since we've seen Milos Raonic in an ATP final in fact i'm trying to think back to maybe delray beach a few years ago where he had to uh, pull the plug before playing uh not playing jack Sox. so it's been a while and you you feel like given the way he played in australia this is a definite opportunity at a lower level 250 event yeah and then the bigger events coming up in march also where he's traditionally played pretty well at indian wells i mean he's got lots of reason to be feeling good at this portion of the season Mm -hmm. um and with the amount of times last year that he wasn't fully healthy i mean he can definitely bring that ranking back up to where it should be, which is certainly a top 15 guy when he's healthy. Definitely. Uh, I'll just mention as well, we have the Cordoba Open happening from Argentina. That one is on clay. Diego Schwartzman uh, did not win the title. He got to the final falling to uh, Christian Guerin um, in in the final there. So uh, we, I wasn't really closely tracking that tournament, to be honest. Uh, just sort of the South American clay court swing of lower-level tournaments you get. But I can't do it. I just can't do it. It's, <laughs> it's too, too early. Much, eh? It's too soon. Okay, like clay, yeah, I'm ready for it, you know, after those uh, those two hardcore events later in the season here. But uh, right now, i got to be honest, it just seems like it's uh, a little out of place with, you know, coming out of a hardcore slam. No, that's fair. But uh, congrats to the uh, Chilean on the title in Cordoba. Good for him. Uh, we'll cycle back to the women's side. And before we preview uh, the last couple events, uh, should mention our other interview of the week. Uh, we, we spoke at length about FUD Cup and Canada's results and now have an opportunity to hear from the captain herself. And she was a former Canadian tennis player in Heidi El-Tabak, uh, who I, I had the great opportunity of chatting with and, of course, was uh, front and center uh, not playing, but she leading this squad and figuring out those tough decisions uh, dealing with injuries to this Canadian squad against the Swiss team. So without further ado, here's my interview with Heidi L. Tabak. And we're now joined by Fed Cup captain Heidi L. Tabak. And uh, Heidi, thanks uh, so much for joining us on the program this week. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, it was, it was not the results uh, I think the Canadian team was, was looking for in Switzerland and Fed Cup. But uh, what would you say, I guess, about your squad's efforts in Beale against, obviously, a, a very challenging Swiss squad? Yes, um, it was definitely a tough week for us, um, you know, with uh, illness and injuries. Um, you know, um, we, three out of the four girls um, had um, you know had bad cold. Um, Gabby had a strep throat, and uh, unfortunately, they had to miss some of the trainings just to you know feel better. Um, obviously, the 
doctor, the team doctor, was uh, able to help a lot. But, um, yeah, so it was kind of tough to um, really build in that week leading up to Fed Cup. Um, and then, unfortunately, Jeannie had hurt her wrist um, the night before her match in the five minutes of uh, last five minutes of practice, which was uh, very unfortunate and, uh, and bad luck. So um, it was uh, it was very, very tough to, um, you know, to, you know, have the, the um I want to say have the results that we wanted with a lot of you know injured players and a lot of sick players. But with that being said, I thought the girls handled it very well. They fought really hard, um, basically from first to last point, and that's really all I can ask for. Um, yeah, and uh, you know Layla played an unbelievable match against Benchic, so that was uh, that was a great win for us, and um, you know it shows shows what she's capable of and uh, the start of her very young career. But overall, um, we leave that week with um, a lot of positives, and uh, we're going to be we're going to be ready for the next tie in um, in Serbia, actually. So we look forward to that. Yeah, and that will uh, be great for us uh, in Canada watching as well. Uh, I think some Canadian tennis fans maybe knew about Leila Annie Fernandez uh, a little bit about uh, a little bit ahead of this tie. She won the Junior French Open, of course. But uh, did you anticipate she was ready to produce a, a win against a top top five player like this, or was that uh, a shock to you as well? No, it was definitely unexpected. Um, but you know, she she played unbelievable tennis from start to finish. She handled that match perfectly mentally, and I was right there with her on the chair, just trying to keep her in the right frame of mind and just keep her mentally focused, um, not letting the nerves get to her. But uh, you know, big big credit to her for pulling pulling this off. Um, honestly, it was an incredible win, and you know, she gave us some hope, keeping us in the tie, and that was very very exciting. I mean. Um, you know, she's improved a ton from last year. She's only 17 years old, but she's fearless. She's gutsy. She she believes that she belongs at that level, and she plays with a lot of confidence. Obviously, she lacks a little bit of experience, but, you know, uh, it showed that it didn't really affect her. And uh, it's, it's it's not every day where you find a 17-year-old beats a top five, five player. And, you know, she actually... Uh, played outplayed Belinda and earned it instead of just Belinda giving it to her. So um, a lot of credit to her, but, you know, I'm excited to watch her grow and, uh, you know, to follow her career and be a part of it. Um, I think if she stays healthy and maintains um, a good mindset that, you know, it's only a matter of time that she uh, makes it to uh, the top hundred and then eventually top 50, top 20, et cetera, but uh, she has what it takes. And, you know, in my opinion, most importantly, she's, you know, so driven and, you know, mentally tough. Um, And that two things that you can't teach. So uh, in my opinion, she has what it takes. Yeah, and it really felt like a a breakthrough moment and match for her. So I'm sure we're going to see her build off that for for the rest of the season. That was tremendous to see. Gabby Dabrowski is often thought of as our our signature doubles player here in Canada, uh, steady in the top 10 and always competing for Grand Slam titles. Uh, Was she comfortable entering the fray in singles? Obviously, that was a a difficult spot for her to be in. Yes, it was uh, definitely a bit unexpected, but I had a conversation with her and she told me that she was up for anything and, you know, we've had conversations in the past and last ties as well where, you know, she told me um, that she was up for it and, you know, she would love to play singles. So, you know, for sure she's, you know, a, an amazing doubles player and a top top 10. I think she's ranked seven in the world, finalist of Wimbledon, you know, 
her results speak for herself, but, uh, you know, she also plays some singles and she had a win over, I would say, like a top 80 player or 100 player earlier this year. So she can definitely play. I think the main um, the main setback that week was more the illness more than anything. Um, like I said, three of the four girls were, um, were not feeling well at all. Um, and therefore, you know, we lacked... Um, a lot of match play and points play. I don't think Gabby had a chance to uh, play any singles points. She had a little bit of doubles play, but uh, which you know is, is unfortunate. But you know things like that happen, and we just got to adapt and you know keep our head down and just fight. And that's exactly uh, exactly what we did. Um, but she gave it her all out there, and you know she uh, she was up against two amazing uh, singles players, and uh, you know Benchich and. Tickman, I think that's how you spell it, mm-hmm. or that's how you pronounce it. Um, and and you know she again she gave it her best, and that's all she could do really. And uh, unfortunately, we came up short. But yeah, I thought she handled it fine. She was uh, she was ready to go. Yeah, and uh, she competed really hard. I, I know hindsight is kind of twenty twenty, but uh, we were wondering, I guess, on, on the status of some other Canadian singles players and whether you you guys had had the option of of bringing a few others along in case uh, there were injuries. Do, do you know right now maybe the status of a, a couple of other Canadian singles players like Catherine Sebov and Abanda? Are, are they competing right now? Right. So this was a point of discussion and, um, you know, uh, coming through the tie, obviously you don't expect uh, a lot of things to go wrong at once, but this was uh, proof that it can, and we got to be prepared for that next time. But unfortunately um, we don't have a ton of healthy players at the moment. Uh, Most of our players are injured. Um, And, you know, that was another reason um, we did not pick a fifth player. Um, We didn't have that many uh, available healthy girls. So it was a tough decision, but, um, you know, uh, hopefully the girls, uh, like, you know, let's say Rebecca, um, Carol, Sebov, uh, Abanda, um, all of them start the year healthy. It's still the beginning of the year. Um, hopefully they get a lot of matches under their belt. You know, most of them haven't played tournaments in a while or only played one match since last year, November, September. So, um, yeah, but definitely for um, for the next tie, I'm hoping that we're going to have a healthy squad and we're going to you know try and bring um, you know a, a team of five players. Um, just you know whatever we're ready so that we're ready for whatever happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think the huge name that everybody, of course, wants to see, uh, Bianca Andreescu. And it was great that she did come uh, with Team Canada, but uh, of course not quite at full health. Do, do you know the status of? her knee at this point and do you know when she's planning to hopefully make her return for 2020 yeah so you know unfortunately time was a bit against us this time uh we were hopeful that you know she was going to be able to play and if not singles maybe doubles but unfortunately her knee got a little bit worse that week and uh you know right now she is uh, reassessing with her um, team and doctors and uh we'll find out very soon what her status is and uh yeah, hopefully she's going to be back in no time. And I know she loves Fed Cup and, you know, she was a great support to the team. And, um, uh, you know, she, she brings the best out of her teammates. So uh would love to have her healthy for our next tie, um, as, as well as all other players. So, um, yeah, that's that's number one goal, healthy team.
Yeah, and that's uh, what we hope to see as well. Just uh, on a personal note for you, of course, you, you had a lengthy uh, tennis career yourself. And uh, now here in, in 2020, I, I'm just wondering for you as a, a former Canadian singles player, uh, how would you compare the strength of Canadian tennis now back to when you were actively competing? No, definitely. Uh, I mean, I think we have a great, great depth now in uh in our system and we have a lot of uh you know great up-and-coming girls as well that you don't hear of because they're still 14 and 13 even but um you know obviously the the results um prove you know show for themselves we've had a great um year in canadian tennis last year with bianca and uh you know felix and um dennis and you know um milos and genius paved the way but i think um you know, we have great depth and I think, um, you know, we must be doing something right <laughs> to be uh, having all these great results. But, um, yeah, I mean, the players are getting a lot more support right now. And, uh, you know, we have great programs in Toronto, Montreal and uh, Calgary, Vancouver. So, um, you know, especially now with Bianca, I hope that she's inspiring a lot of young kids to uh, to come out and play, specifically girls. But I think we're doing all right. And, um yeah, I mean, I'm excited for the up-and-coming generations as well. Uh, like I said, we have a couple girls that are really incredible and have had great results in uh, juniors. So uh, in a matter of four or five years, hopefully uh, they'll be on the Fed Cup squad. Yeah, that would be great to see. And uh, just, just for you, I guess, in, in 2020 and going forward, what what is your key role going to be in, in helping Canadian players, uh, apart from, I guess, being, being Fed Cup captain, of course? Yeah, I think um, I think the goal is um, you know to have uh, you know a healthy and uh, a consistent year for the Canadian girls. I feel like they have that chance with Bianca, Jeannie, Layla, Francoise. Um, I think if if they're able to stay healthy and you know have a good plan and and, and a great schedule, I think they're gonna you know climb up the rankings. Um, you know, obviously I will be supporting them every step of the way. The goal is to, um, you know, win Fed Cup. And I think that's a very achievable goal. I think we got to believe in it. Uh, you know, instead of Fed Cup being just Fed Cup, I think that we can actually win Fed Cup. And uh, I think that's a great mindset to have. And if the girls come together and believe that they could do it, then it's it's very, very possible. Um so um, yeah, that's that's my goal, and uh, you know I'm 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 there for the girls whenever they need me. I'm with there at a couple weeks a year, um, and I'll continue to support them on and off the court. And um, and and yeah, I hope that all of them uh, have a great 2020. Yeah, and uh, we're all hoping for that too. And I, I'm sure a, a Fed Cup team was also inspired just by seeing what Canada's men's team did at, at Davis Cup just this past year, a few months ago, reaching the finals. That was uh, unbelievable. So uh, why not the women, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That was incredible. They fought hard. They played their hearts out there. And they, uh, yeah, I think they, they didn't, you know, it was unexpected to make the finals and they did it. So it shows us that with determination, hard work and, you know, bringing the team together, then it's it's definitely possible. Um, they, they had an unbelievable end to the year. So uh, congrats to them and uh, Frank Dancevich. Definitely. Well, thank you, Heidi, uh, so much for joining us on Matchpoint Canada. And we'd love to talk again uh, further down the line. Yep. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
There you have it, my interview with Heidi Eltebach, Fed Cup captain for Canada, 33 years old, and she took over that captaincy in 2018, uh, which is a nice role for her. Uh, some more women's action happening this week. A couple smaller tournaments that we do have. One premiere in St. Petersburg, where Belinda Bencic making that turnover from playing Fed Cup. She'll be a top seed. Kiki Burton's also there. Some pretty nice players in this draw. Petra Kvitova is there, Johanna Conta, and once again feels like an open event. Always is. And uh, Vondrazova's in there too. And yep. now that she's healthy, I'm like, that's one of the players I really had my eye on last year. Mm-hmm. Even before the French Open final, I'm like, got to watch this one. And then it was just so disappointing how she wasn't able to really play out much of the, the season after that. So uh, another young player, very exciting future ahead of her, as there are so many. But like you said, there's the veterans too. You got Kanta and Kvitova and uh, it's just a great mix. The women's tour I find is so engaging, so exciting. If I was in marketing for the WTA tour, I would just be like jackpot. There is so <laughs> much to talk about every single week. And uh, you know, hopefully they're taking advantage of that and promoting these fantastic female uh, athletes. Yeah, you're right. And uh, one smaller international event, the Thailand Open, Alina Svitolina, the top seed there. And I'm curious about this tournament just to see if Alina Svitolina can get that early slump sort of out of her system because suffice to say, she has not played good tennis to to open 2020. So up and down, Alina Svitolina. Sometimes looks like like this unbeatable, sure shot Grand Slam, future Grand Slam champion. Yeah. And then at times, like you mentioned, she's come out of the gate kind of limping. But she finished 2019 so well at the WTA Finals where she beat Pliskova, Halep, Kennan, and Bencic to make the finals. Great wins. Where she finally fell against Ashley Barty. I mean, you look at that and you think a Grand Slam has to be coming. And then she just doesn't seem to be able to, uh, like, add or, or build from there for whatever reason and, and find that consistency yeah. to uh, to make us feel like that slam is coming. But... Um, yeah, we'll see what what she uh, what she brings. Definitely, uh, you know, needs some wins here to uh, get things back moving in the right direction. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason she's probably entered the smaller tournament, see if she can get that confidence back. I, I want to give just a brief preview to what we have coming next week because it's, uh, I think, what's going to be a very exciting episode is that we'll have analysts and, and former player who got to inside top five in the world. Uh, I love following him on Twitter and I love his analysis on television. To me, he's one of the best in the business, Uh, but Brad Gilbert is going to join us on the podcast next week. Yeah. And not just playing career and an analyst, but also coaching career, uh, you know, with, uh, with Andre Agassi, of course. And so some questions about Andre that we'll have to throw his way. And, uh, you know, he's very much big on the nicknames for, for all sorts of... Maybe <laughs> he'll come up ones. with a nickname for, for us that we can use. Mm, that Some, would be good. Something better than... Uh, what was your old nickname back when you used to play in, in Kingston? The uh, Oh, Little Lewis? Little Lewis. Yeah, he's got he's to do better than that, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can tell him I'm left-handed if that'll help him out at right. all in coming up with anything. Uh, he also wrote, like, one of the ultimate books on tennis that uh, I still haven't got to it. I haven't read yet. W- Winning Ugly? Was Winning that it? Ugly is the one, and I, I know my brother had a chance to read it and it really breaks down the game of tennis uh you know into these minute moments because you can have little points and little games that really decide matches and that's what he details in the book so and i've only heard excellent reviews if they wrote a book about my tennis playing it would be called losing ugly (laughs) yeah that's 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 what we'd go with but uh yeah looking forward to having a guy like brad gilbert on the podcast with us and we've got some other big guests coming up too that i'm excited for If you have any questions that you'd like uh, Ben or myself to ask Brad Gilbert, please send that to us via Twitter or email. 
Uh, and we would love to include some of those on that next episode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'd love to have engagement from you guys, as uh, we always do. You're terrific, and thanks for following, as always. We thank our guests for this week, Carolyn Cameron of Sportsnet and Fed Cup Captain Heidi L. Tabak. We will talk to you next time. Thank you.